Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Kais, and today we're going to be taking a look at The Cure on tour at Cardiff International Arena. And today is a six-truck show, so it's a mid- it's a medium-sized show, and they've they've got some good progress going on at the moment. Pretty much all the lighting bars are in. They've just got one more that I believe they need to put up, and that's the front of house bar. So on stage you have three LX bars and they are um, LX1, 2 and 3 obviously uh, downstage, midstage and upstage they've all got LED wash units on, on each bar they've got LED profile units on each bar they also have the LED strobe floods and then they also have more phases on each of these bars and currently they're all uh, staggered but I'm sure that they're not in their final positions just yet also Stage left and stage right, you have sidebars. Stage left is still under construction on that side, but stage right is up in the air. On the top sidebar, you have AD strobe floods and some AD profiles. And you've also got the secondary truss, which is slung underneath it with some more LED uh, strobe flood units. So currently the line arrays are still uh, being built so I'll go back into that later on but I can see a big stack of slubs and I can see the line arrays under construction as we speak so we'll go back to that later on and I can also see a uh, bunch of subs waiting in a pile to go in front of the stage as well so lots to still happen. Currently on the stage you've got laying on the stage what appear to be a load of truss booms which they're putting together which look like they've got moving light. They've got LED profile units on them, possibly some washers. But yet again until it's all up I won't be able to say I won't be able to say any more on that because it's a bit ambiguous at present. Currently at the back of the stage, so up so upstage you've got three LED screens and they look like they're the high-res uh, black screens that we've been seeing a lot recently and you've got about a meter and a half gap between each screen so there will be uh, three independent images going on there or even merged images so we shall see what that looks like later on once they fire that all up and currently front of the house is being constructed as we speak so plenty going on and we'll be back after this Coming back to Master X Media, we have the X Review. And if you don't know what the X Review is, or was, and will be again, it's where I go and do a reaction video to music videos. So you get genuine reactions, and most of the time, they are on the fly surprise reactions because I would not have seen the videos that I've been reacting to. And I do feel like it's a very honest representation of music. So if you like to listen and watch reaction videos, the link is in the description. The Cure is an English rock band formed in 1978 in Crawley, West Sussex. Throughout numerous lineup changes since the band's formation, guitarist, lead vocalist and songwriter Robert Smith has remained the only constant member. The band's debut album, The Three Imaginary Boys, in 1979, along with several early singles, placed the band in the post-punk and new wave mo- uh, movements that had, that had sprung up in the United Kingdom. 
Beginning with their second album, 17 Seconds, in 1980, the band adopted a new, increasingly dark and tormented style, which together with Smith's, sta with Smith's stage look had a strong influence on the emerging genre of gothic rock, as well as the subculture. That, that eventually formed around the genre. After the release of the band's fourth album, fourth album Pornography in 1982, Smith introduced a, great, a greater pop sensibility to the band's music and they subsequently garnered worldwide mainstream success. Their singles, com their singles compilation Standing on a Beach in 1986 sold 4 million copies worldwide by 1989 and they reached their commercial peak with the album's disintegration in 1989 and Wish in 1992. The Cure have released 13 studio albums, 2 EPs, over 30 singles and have sold over 30 million albums worldwide. Their most recent album, 413 Dream, was released in 2008. The Cure were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. The Cure are often identified with the rock genre, with the gothic rock genre, and are viewed as one of the film's definitive bands. However, the band has routinely rejected classification, particularly as a gothic rock band. Robert Smith said in 2006, "So it's so pitiful when goth is still tagged in the name." The Cure, and added, we're not categorizable. I suppose we were post-punk when we came out, but in total it's impossible. I just play Cure music, whatever that is. While typically viewed as producers of dark and gloomy music, The Cure have also yielded a number of upbeat songs and been part of the new wave movement. Spin has said The Cure have always been an either or sort of band. Either Robert Smith was wallowing in gothic sadness, or he was licking his sweet his sticky sweets cotton candy pop off his lipstick stained fingers. The Cure's primary music traits have been listed as dominant melodic bass lines, whiny strangulated vocals and a lyric obsession with existential almost literally despair. Most Cure songs start with a, with a Smith and Gallup writing the drum parts and bass lines. Both record demos, both record demos at home, and then bring them to the studio for fine tuning. Smith said in 1992, "I think when people talk about the Cure sound, they mean songs based on a six-string bass, acoustic guitar, and my voice, plus a string sound from Selena. On top of this, foundation is laid, towering layers of guitars and synthesizers." Keyboards have also been a component of the band's sound since the 70, since 17 seconds, and their, and their importance increased with the instrument's extensive use on disintegration. The band's early music videos have been described as dreadful, uh, as dreadful affairs, and have been maligned with their poor quality, particularly by the band itself. Tohol said. Those videos were unmitigated disasters, we weren't actors and our personalities weren't coming across. The video for Let's Go To Bed was their first collaboration with Tim Pope. The director added a playful element to the band's videos. The director insisted in 1987 Spin interview, I think that side of them was always there but they never brought out, but was never brought out. Pope would go on to direct the majority of The Cure's videos, which became synonymous with the band and experienced their audience during the 1980s. Pope explained the appeal was working with The Cure, the appeal of working with The Cure, saying The Cure is, is the ultimate band for a filmmaker to work with because Robert Smith really understands the camera. His songs are so cinematic. I mean, on one level, there is this stupidity and humour, right? But underneath, there is still Smith's psychological obsession with claustrophobia. The Cure. 
were one of the first alternate alternative bands to have charted and to have chart and commercial success in an era before alternative rock had broken into the mainstream. In 1992, Enemy declared The Cure had, during the 1980s, become a goth hit machine, 19 to date, an international phenomenon and yet most successful alternative band. As a leading figure of gothic rock, Enemy made Smith the cover artist of their 2004 edition Originals, Goth. Interpol lead singer Paul Banks was quoted as saying, The Cure is the band that all of us in Interpol say influenced us. When I was younger, I listened to them a lot. Carlos as well. Actually, he took a straight influence from this band and on the way he played the bass and the keys. To me, Robert Smith is also one of these examples. You can't be Robert Smith well. Actually, he took a straight influence from his band and the way he played the bass and keys. To me, Robert Smith is also one of these examples. You can't be Robert Smith if you're not Robert Smith. It's one of the bands with the deepest influence on Interpol because we like them. They're legendary. The Cure also have a, form, a formative influence on the Smashing Pumpkins. Frontman Billy Corgan has named The Cure as a primary influence and drummer Mike Byrne described himself as a huge Cure fan. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame chose The Cure for induction, induction in its class of, 90, of 2019. Although The Cure had been eligible for the Hall of Fame since 2004, they were only nominated once previously in 2012. The formal induction ceremony was held on the 29th of March 2019 at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. The members named by the Rock Hall by the Rock Hall of Induction as part of the band are Bamonte, Cooper, Dempsey, Garbles, Gallup, O'Donnell, Smith, Thompson, Tullhurst and Williams. Gabriels was initially not included in the induction but was added in February 2019. At the Hall of Fame ceremony on the 29th of March 2019, The Cure were inducted by Trent Reznor and performed five songs. The Cure have also sold over 30 million albums worldwide. So here is their discography. Right, so, Three Imaginary Boys in 1979, 17 Seconds in 1980, Faith in 1981, Pornography in 1982, The Top in 1984, The Head of the Door in 1985, Kiss Me Kiss Me Kiss Me in 1987, Disintegration in 1989, Wish in 1992, The Wa Wild Mood Swings in 1996, Blood Flowers in 2000, The Cure in 2004, and 413 Dream in 2008. Well... That is a nice bit of um, interesting facts that we've learnt today. We'll be back after this. Returning to Muster X Media after a long absence, we have Scenic Serenity, which is a nice relaxing window channel where you'd hear and see a load of relaxing views with relaxing natural sounds. Sometimes even relaxing music. So why not check it out? The link is in the description. And we're back. So supporting The Cure is The Twilight Sad. The Twilight Sad are a Scottish post-punk indie rock band comprising comprising James Graham on vocals, Andy McFarlane on guitar, Johnny Doherty on bass, Brent, Brendan Smith on keyboard, and 
Grant Hutchinson on drums. They have released five studio albums as well as several EPs, live recordings and singles. Their 2007 debut album, 14 Albums and 15 Winters, drew widespread acclaim from the critics, who noted Graham's thick Scottish accent and McFarlane's dense sonic sonic walls of shoegazing guitar and wheezing accordion. The, the Twilight Sad's notoriously loud live performances have been described as completely ear-splitting. The band toured for the album across Europe and the United States throughout 2007-2008. Sessions inspired by stripped-down and reworked live performances yielded the 2008's mini-album Here It Never Snowed After Afterwards It Did. The band's second album, Forget the Night Ahead, marked a shift in their direction, lyrically more personal and musically darker and more streamlined. It was released in 2009 to acclaim. Recording sessions for the album produced the mid-2010s release The Wrong Car, which followed the departure of founding bassist Craig Orzel in February 2010. The Twilight Sad's third album, No One Can Ever Know, was released in February 2012 and marked another stylistic shift with the band citing industrial music and Krauts rock and Krautrock influences for a darker, sparser sound. The band's fourth album entitled Nobody Wants to Be Here and Nobody Wants to Leave was released in late October 2014 to universally positive reviews and was the band's last album with founding member Mark Devine who left amicably in January 2018. The Twilight Sad's fifth studio album It Won't Be Like This All The Time was released in January 2019 to further critical acclaim. The band has described their sound as folk with layers of noise and music critics have described the band as, as permanently unhappy and a band that injects some real emotion and dynamic excitement into, compa- into comparatively standard template. When asked to describe their, a- their debut album, Graham said the band likes to see their songs as folk with loads of noise as they are based on experiences that have happened to them around their hometowns or people they know. They often cite the work of Daniel Johnson, Sergey Gainsborough, Phil Spector, Arab Strap and Leonard Cohen as influences. Graham insists the 2003 Arab Strap album One Day at the at the Hug and Pint, almost his favourite release of the 20 of the 2000s, stating that it was that was the first Arab Strap album that ever that I ever listened to. For me, it was the first record that I realised it was okay to sing your own accent. Aidan Moffat is one of the best lyricists of the past two decades. Graham also cites Arcade Fire's debut album Funeral as a key influence. In a 2015 feature of Clash magazine, he said it was around the time that Andy McFarlane had had been saying to me that he wanted me to write some songs with him, and it was around it was also around the time that I finally knew I want that I wanted to write about what I wanted to write about. Without his record, I don't know if I'd have approached our debut album in the same way that I did. Funeral had a massive influence on my songwriting style and the way in which I approach writing songs, the way in which the storytelling within the song develops and the track progresses, the power of repeating the same line within a song and a different way to deliver the line to give it different meanings. Funeral is an album that will stay with me for the rest of my life and will always influence the music I write. Graham also mentions his high his liking for bands such as Joy Division. By the time of their third album, the band began exploring post-punk and krautrock facets of their influences, with McFarlane's citing artists such as Pill, uh, Salks, and the Bash and the Banshees 
Cabaret Voltaire and Wire as key inspirations. In an October 2009 interview with The Fly, they admitted that they are still they were still at the stage where we don't really know uh, where we are in this whole music industry thing. We know people will like us, but we don't really know where we fit in or if we can go to some places up, up to or not. It's not like we're a staging band. We're not la- we're not a lads band like Oasis or something. We're not a we're not a scenery yet band, and we and yet we're not a pure experimental band either. Obviously, we're we're noisy and stuff, but we write proper songs as well. Where the bands record where the bands recorded sound is layered with many me- many melodies, their live sounds is a more intense experience with a more visceral wall of noise. Something the band wanted to do all along. Graham stated. We like having to having the contrast between the record and playing live. There are a lot of there, there are a lot more instruments in the record. There's only four of us in the band, so we have to keep it as simple as possible. I don't know about you, but I don't like going to see a band that sounds just like their album. That's what we try not to do. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. Actually, a few bands do that. In a 2014 interview with with Jazz Monroe of The Skinny, James Graham commented on the misconception of the band's disturbed reputation pertaining to his lyrics as well as designer Dave DLT Thomas's darkly suggestive artwork. Monroe wrote, there is a misconception that James himself had a difficult childhood. In fact, Skinny was on has it on good authority that the Grahams are proud, attentive fans and are at many of their gigs. Graham elaborated that my mom and dad are actually the biggest supporters of our band. The songs aren't about me having a really bad childhood. It's about from the outside looking in at other people in my community and the shit that happened to my family, not in my family. It's about other dickheads influencing our lives, whether or not they realise. Writing these songs is about making people feel things they wouldn't usually feel, things that scared to feel, loss, anger, depression. To write a love song for somebody would probably be the hardest thing I've ever, I've never done that. Guitarist Andy McFarlane composed the song, The Wealth Year is Bad, for semiconductor films, short short film uh, Brilliant Noise, a film pieced together from archive NASA footage of the sun's surface. The song was later included in the in the Killed My Parents and Hit the Road compilation. Mark Farlane also provided a remix of Era's song Bridge of Bridge or Cloud in January 2010, which is posted as a free download on Enemy's website. In February 2011, McFarlane provided a remix of Fat Cat Fat Cat Labelmates in Ensemble's truck before night, which was posted as a song of the day on the Line of Beasts Fits website. Singer James Graham appears on the live album Quietly Now by fellow Scottish band Frightened Rabbit, providing additional vocals on the track Keep Yourself Warm. In 2011, Graham appeared as a guitar as a guest vocalist and songwriter on the album First Edition by the Fruits of Free Found Fruit by the Fruit Tree Foundation a supergroup collaboration of Scottish musicians headed by Rob, Rod Jones and Emma Pollock for the benefit of the Mental Health Foundation for Scotland. In 2015, Graham participated in Adrian Moffat's backing band during Moffat's UK tour, performing uh, Scottish folk songs. The tour was part of the documentary film Where You Meant To Be, which was released the following year. 
In 2016, Graham featured as a guest vocalist with supergroup Minor, Vi- Minor Victories on their song Scattered Ashes, Song for Richard. The track appeared in Minor Vi- on Minor Victories' self-titled album. In 2017, Graham co-founded Band Outlines with fellow musicians Catherine Joseph and Marcus McKay. The Lines, al- the Lines debut album, Confats, was released on the 27th of October 2017 via Rock Action Records. Mogwai's uh, label, where where Graham had also worked outside his Twilight Sad duties. In 2022, Graham and Moffat released three actions that three, these actions cannot be undone, a collaborative album under the name Gentle Sinners on Rock Action Records. Under the name Ozelda, former bassist Craig Ozel released a solo album. The Wii Shop is fitted with delights in twenty eight in two thousand eight with the EPs My Dress Up and Spiders following twenty ten. So current vocals are Alexandra Graham on vocals, Andy McFarlane on guitar, Johnny Doherty on bass guitar, Brendan Smith on keyboards, and Grant and Grant Hutchinson on drums, and former members are Craig Orzelt bass guitar, Mark Devine on drums, Martin Doherty on keyboard, Sebastian Schultz on drums. And their discography is 14 out, 14 autumns and 15 winters in 2007. For, forget the night ahead in 2009. No one can ever know in 2012. Nobody wants to be here. Nobody wants to leave in 2014. And it won't be like this all the time in 2019. So that's uh, some interesting info. Very interesting info. And I, I don't recall hearing any of their songs. But then again, I may have heard a song on the radio and not even noticed who they are. We'll be back after this. The Royal Carnarvon Crescent by Paul Collis from Master X Major When a neighbourhood dispute explodes into an all-out war So Chaz Bruford, his wife Ellie and their young daughter Aurora move into Carnarvon Crescent They soon become aware of the troublesome next-door neighbour who makes a point of living in her house for over 50 years From the moment Chaz arrived and began to unload his new neighbour takes an instant disliking to him and she goes out of her way to make Chaz and his family feel unwelcome. The aminosity quickly spirals out of control from both parties and the mutual respect gets lowered right into the gutter from the outset. Chaz comes to realise that this is not just any war, it is a neighbourhood war to end all wars. This book is available to buy on Amazon and this book is available on hardback, paperback and Kindle. This book is pure fiction and should not be used as a user manual. And we're back. So there's been a lot of progress. You've just had the front of the house bar go up, which is slightly arced, uh, but it's looking pretty good. Yet again, more uh, profile units, LED, some more mole phases and LED strobe floods. The uh, booms that were laying down on the back at the back of the stage are now being uh, winched up in between the gaps of the screens. You also have other booms which have just been put up uh, that have uh, lined up the back of the stage, so upstage area, and in front of the screens. So 
You've got a profile unit on the top of each boom and you've also got some AD strobe floods middle and you've got some uh, smaller wash units uh, hanging off the sides left and right of each boom. Which is looking pretty good actually uh, where they're just uh, flashing it out. You've also got a row of AD strobe floods on the floor upstage. On the floor of the stage upstage. And there are more booms waiting to go and you've got a load more LED uh, profile and wash units on the floor of the stage at the front and uh, stage left and stage right. So a few more bits left to do. They're just putting in the subs in front of the stage as we speak and the line arrays have now just gone up. So the main line arrays are too wide and, and 12 deep. You have a set of subs flying up so you've got three subs at hang in as well on stage left and free stage right and then you a little bit further back at 45 degrees it's a surround sound effect for the line arrays and they are too wide and six deep so it's all getting there we are getting there very much so front house has been built and they've pretty much mojoed the whole of the mixer position and they're just bike racking the back end of it as well just for a little bit of extra stability we'll be back after this so not only does Master X Media have a series of podcasts but we also have a series of books the first book is actually two books it's volume one and volume two of a tribute to working at sea the best fiction is based on truth this is a compilation of short stories rants and poems loosely based on the author's experience at working on a cruise ship some of these stories are based on actual events but highly exaggerated whilst other stories are pure fiction the title of the book a tribute to is fitting with the tone of the book because like a tribute act it is a blatant altered reality where you can enjoy it knowing it's not quite the truth. There are things of alcoholism which used to be highly prevalent within workers in the cruise industry as well as stories with a sexual nature. So sit down, relax and enjoy the ride of A Tribute to Working at Sea Volumes 1 and 2. All of these books are available on Amazon and are available in paperback and on Kindle and the links for all these books are in the description below. And we're back. So, the Twilight Sad. The band came on to a very bassy noise with a lot of, um, well, I would say it was a bit of a uh, Jaws motif with the da 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 But it didn't do the old da 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 No, no. Just did that. And then. The band was in position and as they started up the stage was washed blue with the AD strobe floods flashing blue. As the first song gathered momentum the profile units began to strobe blue and then yeah it just carried on like that. So with all their songs they mainly just blended from one song to the next to the next without any breaks in and it was after the third or fourth song that they took a little pause in a uh, in a talk state where he introduced himself and the band and then carried on straight away to the next song. 
So every uh, song as well, the lighting just morphed from one from one look to the next to the next, and it was pretty much all flash and trash throughout. A, light, a nice little bit of wash on the stage, and then a few of the LED strobe floods just lighting up and strobing into the audience. And you had the profiles here and there throughout, just just flashing onto the stage. But the lights are always in the same position. They just strobed a little bit or went from strobe to static. And that was about it lighting-wise. So they kind of just went old-school uh, metal club look. And that's pretty much it. You know, back in the... Uh, Back in the glory days, there'd be a handful of past 64s just in a position, in a fixed position, just lighting the band and no face light. It would just be like, flash the living hell out of those units or then keep them static because that's all you could do. And that's what they just decided to do with this show, with the Twilight Sad set. And the only use of the AV that they had, bear in mind there was the three big screens was their logo was on the middle screen and that was it from start through finish of their set. So nothing too spectacular lighting wise or even AV wise. Now sound wise we had a very clear mix where every instrument was heard very clearly though and even though there was various guitar distortions we definitely were given a, a 22 karat gold standard on the clarity. The uh, volume wasn't ear splitting or uh, head exploding and I have to say, from uh, what I was reading out from the research page, from the research section of the Twisted Sad, it was a bit of a hyped up overreaction to be honest, because yeah, they claimed to be ear splitting loud and that's what I was expecting, but no, they weren't. It was a nice comfortable volume, everything was clear, and I'd say it was Goldilocks standard, everything in that mix was just right. The right amount of volume, right amount of decibels, the right amount of every uh, instrument at, the, at reasonable volumes and balancing up just right. So yes, it was definitely the Goldilocks effect. Now the audience were great. They, applaud, they applauded every, every pause that the uh, band did and and they, I suppose they expected that the songs were going to bleed into the from one to the next to the next and and have minimum uh, talking within the set. They just wanted to get their music out, I suppose. And the audience loved this because they were singing along, they were dancing, and they were cheering. And they couldn't ask for a better audience, to be honest. Now, I have to say, The Cure did really, really well with this quality of a support act because The Twilight Side definitely definitely warmed up the audience for an awesome set of The Cure which was 2 hours and 45 minutes long of non-stop Cure action but we'll get on that in a bit so we'll be back after this Anthology of Rage by Paul Collis from Masterix Major Anthology of Rage is split into 4 distinct sections each section was originally supposed to become a book in their own rights, but unfortunately the author never got around to finishing each project. He did feel though that these pieces of work were too good just to be forgotten about on his hard drive. 
and decided to put them all together in this anthology. Section 1 is a continuation of a tribute to Working at Sea, which with the last seven short stories written from the collection that didn't quite make volume 1 and 2, but were too good to be left unpublished. Section 2 Not quite short stories, but more rants that could be seen to be short stories about Christmas. Section 3 Monologues from the twisted mind of the author. And section 4 are poems based on the life experiences of the author. So a nice little eclectic mix of short stories and poems. Very interesting read. And if you like anger, this is a book for you. This book is available on paperback, hardback and ebook format on Amazon. And we're back, so the lights went down at the at the start of the show and we could hear storm sounds. It started up and then this got people in the audience cheering along because they uh, anticipated something like this. And then on the upstage screens with the uh, thunderclaps you could start seeing the stars just coming into existence onto that screen and then with the thunderclaps as well yeah but also with the thunderclaps you uh, had the LED strobe floods just strobe white you know little bolts of lightning it was great nice to see that very lovely very well done on the programming on that one I have to say and then this first song started up and the stage was backlit with uh, with blue, uh, with Congo Blues and you also had Open White and Gobos in the profile units and on the screen you had a load of clouds appear as well and the lightning was uh, kept old school flash and trash from the and right, so the light from start to finish, the lighting was kept old school with flashing trash from start to finish, or with some basic washes over the stage, and all the flashing trash would always follow musical cues. So a little bit of heaviness or some stabby bits within the song, and uh, the lights would flash and beat to it. Um, the majority of face light came from the side lights from the floor wash units. But this was kept dim so they wouldn't wash out the screen or the gobo effects. And yes, the screen, they heavily relied on the screen with uh, visuals to help change the mood of the piece. So lighting was kept as basic as possible uh, because the screen was doing most of the legwork. And not only would they have the uh, visuals, but also mix the VT into it as well. So live camera feed and then you'd have the mixture of both cam live camera feed and the uh, graphics that are going up on the screen. And most of the visuals were quite psychedelic and had a good feel about them to be honest. It felt like a real happy acid trip in some places. <laughs> they definitely added uh, to the visuals, to the visual effects of the lighting. And in one respect, I would say they actually made the show. Sound-wise, just like the Twilight Sad, you had an absolute amount of clarity. Uh, you had absolute clarity, so it was definitely platinum standard on the mix. And it was great to hear. It was really great. You could hear absolutely everything in immense detail. No distorting uh, due, to vo due to excessive volumes. The bass is just the right. So uh, 
yet again the bass wasn't overpowering although you could feel it in your chest cavity and yeah you had a real good positive feel about the show about the show itself now how was the cure well they performed well and they played the songs the way they are meant to be listened to live they had awesome stage presence and had the crowd singing dancing and clapping from start to finish this show was definitely one for the fans and i think if you were a fan you would and you didn't get to see this you definitely missed out because this was two hours and 45 minutes of pure experience and that's the kind of thing that with the with the price of the tickets you definitely got value for money because you, you don't listen to the cure but you experience the cure and this was an experience of a lifetime Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If, you have, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please hit like, subscribe and share. And if you haven't already done so, you want to check out more content from Master X Media by clicking the link in the description below. And we should catch you next time. Bye for now.